0: We are uh, finishing out this letter. We've been journeying through all winter here, and we're coming... We're, we're This is the very end of the letter, but we're continuing a section where the Apostle Paul, he's thanking the church in Philippi for a financial gift they sent to him uh, while he was imprisoned in Rome. And, and it's, it's a tough situation because very likely he was not in a traditional prison cell but in a room that he had to rent. So he had to pay rent to be in prison, which is sort of a double problem there. And, uh, but this church was, was very generous to, to Paul. This was not a wealthy church, and yet they had, had continually uh, given to him, and they exhibited great generosity. Generosity is a mark of true followers of Jesus Christ throughout history. It has been and should be a mark of followers of Jesus Christ. Generosity. Believe it or not, Americans are very generous people. We give more money uh, to charitable causes than any other country in the world by a long shot. In 2015, Americans gave a record high $373.25 billion to charitable causes. So on average, that means that every day, Americans give over $1 billion to uh, charitable works. Pretty good. The bulk of that is from individual donors, not from um, foundations and corporations, but this is individuals, the bulk of it. The biggest chunk of that giving goes to faith groups like churches, $119 billion. Followed by education, $57 billion. uh, Human services, $45 billion. And then causes that help the environment and animals, $11 billion and then a number of other causes as well. Now, that's pretty good. Before we pat ourselves on the back, um, millions of Americans give nothing. So only about 60% of all Americans give anything, anywhere charitable. So 40%, and again, that's millions of people, give nothing. And across the country, certain states are more generous than other states. So at the top of the list would be Utah and Mississippi, so a typical household in those states would give about 7% of uh, annual income to charitable causes. And at the bottom of the list, Massachusetts. And uh, other states in the Northeast, we come in less than 3% of income, according to a report in the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So maybe we could turn that around. That was, that was a couple years ago, so maybe things have changed a bit. Um, I doubt it. But... but Back in verse 10, we looked at last week, there was this gift that was given to Paul, and he said, I rejoice greatly because of this gift. And in, here in verse 14, it's printed on the back of, of your bulletin, he says, it was good for you to share with me. There is a joy and a goodness that is experienced in generosity. But why? Why is it so good? And why does it bring about so much joy here specifically? And there, the reason is, there's just wonderful, on a number of levels, benefit in God's kingdom when this type of generosity is experienced. And it's that type of joy and goodness we can all experience as we understand generosity in this way. So we're going to consider that this morning. Let's pray together as we begin. Father God, we want to know you more. And we thank you that you are a God who has made yourself known to us, your creation, that you've made your way known and your heart known, and you've called us to be your children. We praise you for that, and we pray that we would know your joy, we would know your goodness, we would know your will for us, and as we look at your word, that you would do your good work in our hearts. And, and that is our that is our request this morning, and we thank you that you love us enough to hear our prayer and to answer our prayer. So we commit it to you, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we're talking about generosity. Before we jump into that, I want to uh, talk about generosity in general. Specifically in this text, and again, we've just been going through this letter. In this text, it's talking about financial generosity. But when we talk about generosity, uh, we there are a lot of different currencies of generosity. So this is, if you feel like you don't have financial resources to be generous with, before you tune me out. Uh, there are a lot of different currencies of generosity. We've looked at these before, but we see it in the relationship between the Apostle Paul and this church in Philippi. There was, there was this financial gift, but there was all kinds of generosity. First of all, this physical and emotional generosity. It's one thing to write a check to a cause. It's another thing to get in and get your hands dirty and to get involved. They sent this gift to Paul. They also sent him Epaphroditus. And this guy, Epaphroditus, cared for Paul as he was in this confinement uh, under Roman guard and, and really got his hands dirty, was very active in this ministry. He was to such a point that he became ill and he almost died because, he got, he, because of his ministry here. And he, fortunately, he got better, but was giving of himself in that way. There's also the generosity or the currency of hospitality. A lot of people will be very generous in public places, but not on my turf, not in my actual house, my carpets, my bathroom. You know, you generous out there, but not here. Yet in the church in Philippi, the first convert that is recorded was a businesswoman, an Asian businesswoman, and she came to faith in Jesus Christ and immediately welcomed these disciples into her home to house them and to provide for them. So there's uh, the currency of hospitality. There's also the currency of relationships. And this is the currency, as Paul describes elsewhere, where love keeps no record of wrongs. That in relationships, we can keep a ledger of currency that you know this person has wronged me or this person was good to me and I'm going to hold it against them or I might treat them better if they treat me better. And we can, we can use this relational currency. And, and the teaching here is that um, love is going to keep no records of wrongs. This is one that the church perhaps struggled with. Earlier in chapter 4, Paul encouraged these two women who were in conflict. He encourages them to forgive each other and to become like-minded. He encourages them all, the whole church. He says, do everything without arguing and complaining. And There's this idea that you have relational currency and if you use it generously to forgive, then ministry will flow through that. This is the currency of time. For us, this is one of our most important currencies because we are busy people. And in this relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi, he's he's sending them Timothy to go get a report and come back. He's sending him 800 miles in the first century. It's going to take an incredible amount of time and then 800 miles back just to stay connected and to use time to stay connected between these groups. So this is a, a very generous use of time. Energy is a currency we have. You know How long are we willing to walk with somebody in need? And here Paul says, from the very first day, you were with me, you walked with me, you provided for my needs. We have been partners in this thing right from the get-go, right until now. And it was just a, a long-term relationship. There is the currency of all of life, of, of my whole self. And the teaching that Paul gives them is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. We have the currency of our own interests and our own selfish interests, and we can actually put that aside and be generous by focusing on the needs and in the interests of others at the cost of our, our own ambition. And that's a, a Philippians chapter 2. And then, of course, there's money and possessions. That is another resource, another currency that God has given us to be generous with. So when we talk about generosity, in the context here, the generosity is a financial gift, but we can think about all the different currencies of generosity that you have to spend from, as we consider this today. So what is it that was so provoking of joy and of goodness in this financial gift? And, or why was it so? And there are the reason is because there was such a great benefit from this gift on three levels. First of all, the generosity helped the one in need. And in this case, it's Paul. But gener- generosity helps those in need. That's perhaps the most obvious benefit of generosity. There's a resource, there's a need, and the need is met. Verse 14. It was good for you to share in my troubles... Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I was sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. And for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. This is a good thing. Over and over, over the long haul, when Paul was alone and when he was traveling along, they were just faithful to continue to partner with him in the gospel. And it's as if they were in Thessalonica with him, Because they sent their gifts ahead and the good work of the kingdom was continuing in that place. And we experience that in the life of our church. In so many ways. Where you may not be able to directly partner with something, but you have resources that can can help. For example, we have a a wonderful choir. And it's been growing. So we have a nice big choir and they've been practicing and they're getting really good. We're going to be blessed to share gifts and worship together on Maundy Thursday service which will happen here in Holy Week and again at the high school on Easter Sunday the choir will be uh, sharing their gifts and worship and we are just blessed some of you are terrible singers and you did not sign up to, to sing with the choir thank you for not singing with our choir yet you're part of what they're doing because as you, if you give a financial gift, we buy music. And we don't pirate music. We have to pay all the royalties and we pay for music. And choir music is somehow more expensive than the other music. But you, on the screen, we have all like the copyright information. We actually pay licensing fees and, and all these things so that we can have music and that those who are gifted to music can be a blessing as we worship together in that. So it's, you're part of it even though you're not a good singer. Some of you are impatient with children, and you've become angry towards children, and you do not volunteer in our children's ministry. Thank you for not volunteering in our children's ministry. Yet, as we work together and as we fund a staff in our children's ministry and supplies and training and all the things that go into it, we are all in it together discipling Jesus and letting them know how much Jesus loves them and how they can know and experience the love of Christ from the youngest, uh, right up through all of our students. And this is how, this is gospel partnership. This is the way it works. And they were the only ones when Paul was lonely, when he was unsupported, they were the only ones who were faithfully partnering in this way. And I've experienced it personally in my life. It was a time when I was in college, I, I didn't have a lot of resources and I, my house that I lived in was broken into and some of my stuff got stolen, including a guitar and a guitar amp, probably about $1,000 $1,000 worth of musical equipment. And I, I didn't have the means to in any way replace it. And I felt really kind of violated in that, that somebody would break in and, and take my stuff. And there was a group of friends. They were Christians. And they got together, and they pulled together some money, and they showed up at my house, and they gave me a brand new guitar, the same one that I had except nice and new and shiny. And they said, hey, we, we love you. And we, we would, a group that would worship together, and I would play guitar and, let, and the, in the band, and they said, we, we, you know, we, we just want to continue this. We want you to have this gift. And I still have it. And I, I feel so blessed to, that they partnered in that way. And I ran into the guy who, I, randomly, I was up in New Hampshire, I ran into the guy who sort of spearheaded this little collection of these other students 20 years later, and I said, just, yeah. And, and I said, hey, I still, I still have that guitar. And every time I use it, I think of you guys and, and uh, just so blessed by that. It was another time that my, my poverty stories come mostly from college, because that was a time for me and for many people who just, it was just a little thin those days for sure. But I, there was a, a, a man I was connected to, he was a spiritual mentor of mine, and we worked together up at Christian Summer Camp. And he one time gave me a little bit of money to pay a, a phone bill. And I was just, he heard that I was short on money, gave me I think it was maybe $25, and, and I felt so blessed that he cared enough to do that for me, and I was able to pay that bill, and, and he's the guy who introduced me some months later to Kathy Shannon 16 years ago, and we started a dialogue with Kathy about ministry at this church in Andover and working with students and what that would look like, and then and here we are 16 years later, and I'm so grateful for the people who have partnered with me in that way. This is a church that was poor, and they were very generous. When, when the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and they were not a generous church, he said, "Hey, that church in Philippi, they understand generosity because they are not wealthy, yet they are faithful in this way." And research shows, it bears it out, generosity is not uh, proportional to your income, that me- meaning. The more money you have doesn't make you more generous. And actually people who, who are less wealthy can, are, are, tend to be more generous with their wealth. Uh, I have a, I got in a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to this church about tithing of all things. And sometimes as a pastor, people ask churchy questions. And, hey, what about, how do you support your church and, and how does that work? And he said, you know, I know some, he said to me, I know some people tithe, but man, that's a huge amount of money. Now, he didn't mean to sound arrogant when he was thinking about tithing and thinking that as some enormous amount of money. Um, but, and I didn't say to him, it, it's, it's, it, it's not because people have a small amount or a large amount. It's because they learned how to be generous that they partner in this way, and their hearts are inclined to do that. And, and here, it provides a, a, for Paul's need. Verse 18. I have received full payment. I have more than enough I'm amply supplied now that I've received the gift, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And, and this is a beautiful benefit. But not, not just the money, but the partnership and ministry that Paul received in this case. So he's the that's the first benefit. The second benefit of the generosity is the generosity helps the giver. Look at verse 17. Paul says, Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is more would be credited to your account. It's kind of a funny way to thank somebody, to say, "Um, I didn't ask for that gift, and actually, I don't need your gift. But he says it was good. Because more than what he benefited, he knew that it was good for them to be givers. It was credited to their account. It was a demonstration of God's work in their hearts. It shows that they are growing disciples, that they are growing in sanctification, that they had come a long way from their founding. This church, if you... Again, as we study Philippians, you got to keep in mind the founding of this church in Acts 16. The founding members of this church was this business, this Asian businesswoman, a demon-possessed teenage girl who had been trafficked, and a retired military prison guard who was on the verge of suicide. That's the first three members that we learn about. And, and over years, they are just faithfully, as a church, continuing to give. And Paul says, "Man, you guys have come a long way." What a credit it is to the work that God's doing in your heart to stay connected in these ways. It just flowed from their primary relationship was that they had given themselves to God. And then this just flowed from that. And and again, so Paul's rejoicing not because he needed it, not because he was asking for it, because it was a useful step for them in their growth and that it showed where their allegiance lied, and where their security lied. And it just gave them an opportunity to trust God by giving away their resources. And the key principle here is that generosity is not something that God wants from us. Generosity is something that God wants for us. It is for our good, and it is for the growing of our faith. It's... it's, Yes, financial giving supports the mission of the church, but it's, it's healthy for the church, but it's healthy for givers to give. And you could give to a need, and if I were to talk to, let's say I were to talk to a financial expert or fundraising expert, and, and we wanted to raise money for the church, they would tell me, and they have told me, you need to make the case. You need to present the need. Show the need and how needy you are, and people will give to a need. And there's a difference, though, between giving to a need and just needing to give. And the need to give comes from the fact that we have. Not because there's a need on the other side, but but there is a resource to be given. Here's what I mean by that. Charlie Jones, who's a Christian author, he says, Christian generosity is not giving to get something. It's giving because you have something to give. Two things Jesus said, which almost sound contradictory, but if you think about them together, just a beautiful harmony. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. So the reason we give isn't because there's a need. I give because I've received something. So freely I receive and freely give. But Jesus also said, give and it will be given to you. Luke 6. So there's a connection between receiving and giving, but there's also a connection between the giving and, and receiving. So that as I receive, I give. And as I give, I receive from God. And there's this beautiful connection that God is at work in generosity in a beautiful harmony. Of course, we need to be careful with that. Uh, not saying that every time you give money that you will then get more money back. And, and that, you know, that somehow it's going to multiply in that way. Perhaps. But I always make the promise, if you give $100 to the church, you will have $100 less. Dollar. That's my guarantee. And what we receive as we are generous, what we receive from God is not always material, that he's blessed us in the spiritual realm with all kinds of blessings. But, but as we give, we see that God is providing for our needs, and it, it helps us to experience that and trust him. So giving benefits one who receives, giving benefits the giver. But thirdly, and most importantly, the benefit of generosity is that generosity glorifies God. Look at verse 18, the second half of verse 18. He says the gift was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The image he's, he's comparing their financial gift to the Old Testament image of a sacrifice where an animal was killed and burned and consecrated to God. Very sacrificial, very costly to the one giving it. And it was, the, uh, it was a way of understanding that atonement for sin was costly and that the smoke rising up was like the prayers of the people to God, that this is a pleasing sacrifice as I give of what I have to God. And he said, your gift was just like that, and it pleases God's heart. Now, in New Testament times, since Jesus, we don't sacrifice animals as they did in the Old Testament because... Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And throughout the New Testament, all the writings, and particularly the book of Hebrews, describes how Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. We don't have to repeat these animal sacrifices over and over, which, at the end of the day, couldn't really take away your sin, ultimately. But Jesus, as he gives himself, his body, his blood on the cross for us, in our place, That is a once-for-all sacrifice that can truly forgive us of our sins as we put our faith in. That can truly cleanse our conscience. And it's a once-for-all. You don't have to repeat it. So then, well, what what sacrifice can we offer? Jesus offered himself for us. What do we then have left as a sacrifice? Well, Romans 12.1 says that we... Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That all of life now becomes a sacrifice that I can offer to God. That, again, all the resources that God has given me can then be a sacrifice, an offering, that's pleasing and acceptable to God. And part of that is sharing my resources. Hebrews, again, Hebrews is the same book that, in such clear language, explains how Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. says this, Hebrews 13, 16. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For With such sacrifices, God is pleased that there's just a beautiful sacrifice as we do good and as we share what we have with one another. And this is described here as a fragrant offering. And that's why in some Christian traditions, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, that Christians actually, uh, when they gather for worship and they, they give gifts, and they give financial gifts, they wave it in the air. Have you ever seen that? If you've seen a video of this, it, it may look strange to you because people take money, and they're walking around a church, and some, and some of these traditions often include dancing. So there's dancing and waving of money, and then they put, bring it forward and, and put it into a plate or something like that. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of boastful. Like, everybody's showing off, look at my money. But that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're waving it symbolically that this is a fragrant gift that I'm giving to the Lord, that this is as if it was a burnt animal or sacrifice. This is a a sacrificial gift that's pleasing to God. So here, we don't do that for a couple reasons. One is, if you don't understand Philippians 4, and we all start doing this, and somebody's visiting, it's really weird. And for us, for other traditions, they can make their own decisions. For us, I think it could be strange. And I can only preach Philippians 4 so many times in a year for everybody to remember what we're doing. Um, also, a lot of people give electronically, and you don't actually have an envelope or something. So you could, I mean you could take your, your phone out and you know, <laughs> and it just kind of loses its meaning in that way. Related to that is actually we have new online giving. If that's if that's if that helps you in, in generosity, there's our new system is fantastic. You can you can text a gift, you can very simply and easily um, set up giving online. It's the system is called Realm. It's fantastic, and it's secure and safe, and, and it's been very useful for those who've used it. So, um, it, you know, you may not have anything to wave, but still able to participate. So, if, Anyway, where were we? Okay, worship. That's why when we give, we say this is an act of worship. This is pleasing to God, and this is why this sermon is called Joyful Worship because generosity is worship to God. Look at verse 20. So he goes through, talks about their gift, and then verse 20 says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He just explodes into worship thinking about this partnership they have and this gift that they sent with the Papadites. Glory to God. So the giving benefits, the one who receives, the one who gives, and it gives glory to God. And that's why there's so much joy and that's why it's so good. So what do we do? First of all, we are, as Steve mentioned, our fiscal year in our church resets in April. Like a third of all churches, it resets on the calendar year. And another third of churches, it resets in June because it's hard to close books around holidays. And for another third of churches, it's, it's some other time and nobody knows why. That's us. We don't know why. But April is traditionally, that's when it resets. And I just we ask people this time of year to just consider how might... How might I partner with my resources with the church, my financial resources? And again, that's the context of the generosity in this passage. So we just ask people to pray. There'll be pledge cards. And again, this is between you and the Lord. I don't see those things. We don't tally them all up. We don't, nobody knows what you give except the assistant treasurer who um, makes the deposits and keeps good records for, for your sake. But it's not, I don't have access to that. And I don't know that, but it's between you and the Lord. We just ask people to pray and consider that. But remember, there's so many ways to be generous beyond money that, you know, we have Easter coming up and there's going to be you know, people from all over this community that we're welcoming and there's ways that we can serve and these gifts of service that were mentioned, even just ushering our childcare. all these ways that we can just be inviting and welcoming people to to. And to hear the gospel, and to to come perhaps to know Jesus Christ, so we can live generous lives. And then wherever that's what we do as a church together. But tomorrow, this time tomorrow, you're going to be where God has put you, and you have an opportunity in that place to live a life of generosity towards your coworkers by offering forgiveness by being open relationally to support others around you, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood. That you can live generosity anywhere you are. And as you live that way of life, it can actually change those places. Look at verse 21. This is the end of the letter. He says, greet, it seems like just kind of a end the letter, like say goodbye, signing off. Look at verse 21. He says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings, and all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So the, the, Paul made it to Rome, not as an evangelist, he makes it as a prisoner, yet his ministry continues, and it's bearing fruit, and people are coming to faith, including members of Caesar's household. These are officials, some kind of ranking officials or servants, but they're connected in a very powerful place. And... To change the culture of the world for Jesus Christ is happening one person at a time, and now people of influence have the good news of Jesus, and now it can really spread. And every one of us has that same opportunity every day as you live a generous life, as we share the gospel that God is changing the places where we are because we are there and because He is using us. So we can live whole life generosity. Those are things we can do. And that's it. And this is the letter ends with this, with this last verse, 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He finishes the letter talking about God's grace. And actually, he started the letter talking about God's grace. Uh, chapter 1, he said, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The very first thing he says and the very last thing he says is God's grace to you. God's grace we know through Jesus Christ. It is, grace means free gift. What Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, he gave his life for you. You cannot earn it. You can never fully pay it back. It was a free gift to you given generously. Therefore, in that sense, grace and generosity are nearly the same thing or generosity describes God's grace. And and God's grace, it benefits us and it benefits those as we extend it to others. But most importantly, it pleases God because as we live generous lives, it puts us very close to God's heart. We are becoming unified with God in generosity. Perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave. God is a generous God. God gave us Jesus. Jesus gave his life on the cross for us. And as we connect to that generosity as God as a giver, that God is generous. And as we understand his generosity, that will change our hearts from the inside out and change the world around us. Amen.